Hi everyone, and welcome to the Y2 Podcast, where I interview interesting and noteworthy people to learn about their journeys and specifically look to understand their beliefs, values, mindsets, and the resources they use to get started and succeed on their journey. I'm your host, Dustin Elliott, and today's guest is Corey Wassel. Now, Corey is the co-founder of Verse Wealth, a firm that's doing financial advice differently and breaking down industry traditions. He's been prominently featured on the front page of the Financial Planning Association magazine, a finalist for the Association of Financial Advisors Rising Star Award 2015, finalist in the Independent Financial Advisor Newcomer of the Year 2016, and a regular speaker and workshop advisor. I hold Corey in very high regards as both a friend and a mentor, and probably somebody who's made one of the biggest impacts on my professional and personal life, as well as a big catalyst for me starting this podcast. Whether it's his boundless optimism or his pursuit of creating a bold, culture-first organization, he is an absolute goldmine of insight and knowledge. This conversation is very wide-ranging, from the nuts and bolts of starting a business to personal development, optimism, leadership, and so much more. There's something in this conversation for everyone, no matter what you're looking to improve upon. That being said, let's get to today's conversation. Corey, welcome to the Y2 podcast. Thanks, Thank for, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me, Dustin. It's, uh, it's an honor, mate. Well, I'm really looking forward to getting in today's conversation. Um, obviously, I've known you for quite a while, and uh, I'm absolutely honored to have the opportunity to sit down and, I think, dive into a bit more about your story, tell more about your story, and, and probably learn some things as well, too, through today. So, probably to get us started off with, I'd love for you to just maybe get the ball rolling today. Just yeah. tell me a bit about yourself and what do you do? Well, uh, just before I do, it was about six months ago, I think, that you mentioned to me that you had this concept of the Y2 podcast, and to see it come to light, uh, really start to take off, mate. Congratulations, and thank you, uh, thank you for letting me part of your journey, mate. I, I, uh, I'm humbled and honoured, so hopefully we can, uh, we can give some value today. Fantastic. Looking forward to it. No doubt we can, mate. So uh, in, in, terms of, in terms of me and, and my journey, uh, I'll try and keep it succinct, because I could tell a life story, but... In terms of where I'm at, I'm currently uh, the co-founder of a financial advice business in Melbourne called Verse Wealth. The other co-founder and director is my partner, James O'Reilly, my business partner, <laughs> I should say. <laughs> James, if you're listening, I've never, uh, I've never thought of you that way, mate. But um, we, uh, we're two years in and we, uh, we set out uh, initially and, and, and we still are on a journey that uh, has a lot of intent, uh, has a lot of purpose. I've been in the financial advice industry for about five, six years now, and initially when I got in, I think we might talk more about this later on, but initially when I got in, my sense was that financial advice generally didn't deliver the sort of value to people that I really believe it can uh, and it should. And so much of what I was seeing was financial advice masquerading uh, as was sales masquerading as financial advice, I mm-hmm. should say. And the quality of the work that is being done and the interests that were being served, um, so much it was about distributing products to people and moving people between one fund and writing insurance policies and getting commissions and all those kind of things. And not to say that everyone in the industry are bad people, mind you, because they're not. There's a lot of good people. But my sense was that there's so many people out there that would live a better life and have more of the things that they value if advice was better centered on what those things are and sought to help people attain those things achieve goals, have experiences, remove stresses from their mm. life, have more certainty, 
have more confidence, feel empowered. A lot of things that you can't measure, right? Which is quite fuzzy, but you know, we uh, we set out with the intention to build a business that ultimately would become a vehicle to uh, provide what we we now call great advice. And we're about two years in. The journey's been incredible. It's had challenges. It's had ups and downs. It's been an enormous amount of progress. We've got some great people involved. We have a great culture that is flourishing and being nurtured every day. You know, we've laid a good foundation to build something quite special, I think, long-term that has an impact that matters. Mm, absolutely. So, uh, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on today, and I think through our journey, I've gotten so much benefit out of getting to know you and, and understanding you, is you've always come across as probably, in terms of all the people I know, you are you have an amazing way of viewing life. You are very self-determined, very motivated. When you take on ideas, you're not easily swayed, I think, necessarily by, by other people. You, you always take the feedback on board, but you really are just a man that beats to his own drum. You're incredibly optimistic. I don't know if I've really ever had a time when I was speaking to you that you weren't always looking at any challenge with some sort of positive spin and sort of rubbing your hands together about what you could get out of it. And, I think one of the one of the stories I'd love that you could maybe get us started off with today is to tell us a bit about the uh, celery in the airport. The old celery in the airport. Okay. Um, firstly, thank you for the the kind <laughs> words. Um, I appreciate them. The celery in the airport. So we're going back a few years now, probably about I think about three years, and this was actually when I met your your now roommate. Um, <laughs> we were at a financial advice slash marketing slash social media conference up on the Gold Coast for a few days and uh, I bumped into to your housemate. I'd never met him before and uh, on the last of the three days there, we, we hit it off. Um, we had some great conversations. I think there's a real sense of alignment between us. You know, we just click with some people. Um, that happened that afternoon and we ended up you know going out for dinner uh, that night together and uh, we are on the same flight home so we um, we caught a shuttle bus to the airport. I think we swung by maybe my hotel uh, on, uh, on, the, on the way back. And I think potentially, I think I maybe damaged the rental car slightly. <laughs> on, on, now that I think about it, on the way out of the, uh, on the, way out of the garage there, um, I think it was quite minor, but I don't think it was picked up when we, uh, <laughs> when we, when we dropped the car off on the way. So that's a side story. Um, probably doesn't paint me in the best light either. So maybe I shouldn't have told that. But we got to the airport and uh, I was carrying... Some of the items that I was unwilling to leave in the hotel room, um, and one of those was a whole bunch of celery, but I had carrots and I had kiwi fruit, and I think I may have even had like a lime and a lemon. I'm not sure <laughs> I was carrying them, but um, I guess in terms of this story and, and I think where you're going, when I travel, the first thing I do when I arrive somewhere is go to the supermarket, and I never want to trade on good health uh, and nutrition and looking after yourself, and that always gets inherently more challenging if you're traveling, so go to the supermarket, buy enough good food to last me however long I'm there. I typically buy too much, I get a bit carried away. Um, but we, we took this food to, to the airport and uh, I think your housemate was a bit surprised because we're in the shuttle van and I'm pulling carrots out of my bag and just eating raw carrots. And I might even have had some raw broccoli potentially. I, that was a bit of a trend for a while yeah. for me. And we walked into the airport and we got to the scanners and I put out the tray and I think I put my, my, my watch on and my, my phone and my computer and this whole bunch of salary. And uh, the guy that I was with just kind of burst out in, into laughter. I couldn't believe it. 
So the celery went through the scanner. Um, the celery was clean, yeah. mind you, so it got through. <laughs> I think it was the first time they've seen celery go through that scanner. And uh, I took it on. Plain food's not great, so we had uh, we had some celery to tide us over. It was I got a couple of raised eyebrows from the person <laughs> sitting to the right of me um, when uh, when we pulled the celery out of the overhead compartment. Yeah. Sounds a bit silly, but um, maybe gives a bit of insight into maybe how I think and act. Absolutely. Uh, one of the things I love about this story as well, too, is uh, every time I go through security, I've got the bottle of water, and I imagine everybody around you is tossing out their water bottles because they can't bring their 200 milliliters of liquid on, but yet you're, you're, uh, you, you've, you've beat the system and you're putting the celery through, which has probably got more water content, so... That's a great point. Celery is like 95% water, so yeah, I'm beating the system. They probably changed the rules by now, knowing, <laughs> that, uh, knowing that I've got that celery, th- celery through. Yeah, uh, I love the fact here that there's probably somebody somewhere at an airport yeah. that just has probably never seen celery and will never see that celery again. And you're somebody's story at a pub somewhere <laughs> talking about this time that this guy puts celery on the uh, on the scanner on the way through. Possibly, possibly. My uh, I've got a twin brother and he's got a saying, um, and he just says it's about the three P's. The first time he said that to me, I said, "What's the three P's?" And he said, "Prepare, prepare, prepare." Mm. And I think if you take that motto into anything that you do in life. Just be prepared. You know, there's going to be challenges. Things are going to get in the way. But the better prepared you are, the more you're going to feel in control and the more control you're going to have over the outcomes. It's certainly something that I, I try and live by as well as I can. And I'm happy you said that too because one of the things that's always, every time I think of you, I think of that picture of your fridge that you posted on Facebook a while ago. And I'll, 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 post it in the, uh, I'll post it on the Facebook page so everybody listening today can see what I mean. But I think it comes back to that preparation part that people are seeing the celery tip of the iceberg of the success, no different than obviously your success and at first and what you and James have created, but it's this whole it's this whole iceberg underneath of behaviors and the way you view the world and that's what I'm really excited to dive into today and explore a bit more. So sure. I suppose from there I want to I want to take it back, back to uni for you. What what was your degree in again? I did a double at Monash Uni. I did uh, business and commerce mm-hmm. and communications. So in terms of the subject matter we're talking about things like business, marketing, advertising, journalism. My major was public relations, mm-hmm. so it was a pretty broad spectrum. So as a 17-year-old, 16-year-old Corey, what made you oh, want to, to go... to confirm, I wasn't at uni at 16. <laughs> no, no, transitioning. Okay, into okay, high school, okay. into high school. Sorry, early, sorry. Early, Ask uh, me a question. Yeah. What made you go into... What made you pick that, that degree to start studying and to sort of start your professional career on? It's a good question. When I think back, or even I knew at the time, I didn't have a lot of conviction in the course that I was going to study. I think a lot of people at that age, you know, young, young kids coming out of high school, it's hard to know what you want to do. You kind of feel like you're at this transitionary phase in your life where you think, I've got this huge decision. If I don't get it right, life's just not going to pan out the way that I want it to pan out. And that's not true at all. And I think I, I, I didn't really feel that way at, at the time. I knew that I had uncertainties as to where I would end up or what mm-hmm. sort of vehicle I would be in. I think I knew who I was um, to a degree. And the reason I chose that particular double degree was I knew I had some interest in marketing, in journalism, in advertising, in business. I wasn't incredibly passionate about any one of those particular vehicles, but had an interest in a number of them. And what was it about that you had the interest in? Do you you remember what, any times you're sitting there going through the subjects or thinking about it, that you got a bit of an exhilaration feeling or some excitement about? I didn't go there enough, to be honest. <laughs> I, didn't, uh, I didn't attend many lectures. I went to as many shoots as I had to. Uh, I bought my books in the first year of university yeah. and got through the first year fine without really using the books. 
and didn't buy them for the next four years. <laughs> so I've got to, I've got to flag it. I, I wasn't the best student. I don't think, uh, I've done a lot of formal learning and mm. I've, I haven't even stopped since uni, but formal learning for me and that academic environment isn't where I thrive. It never really got the best of me for, for whatever reason. But in, in terms of the subject matter, I think more than anything, I think if you, if you chunk, chunked up, it's probably about people. You know, I've always been fascinated by people, by stories, by leadership, by things that are somewhat creative, but mm-hmm. not too fuzzy and too artsy. Mm-hmm. And I think that I looked at that double degree and thought, well, I don't know where I want to go, so let's leave as many doors open as possible mm-hmm. that I may have some kind of interest in, and let's get that study done and see where it takes me, and I'll just go from there. Was there any yeah. particular person or book or anything out there that necessarily inspired you towards stories and leadership and anything along those lines that might have been important in helping you really in those, during those formative years? Nothing specifically. I, I, I think that if I look back now, didn't read much then either, mind you, despite mm. the fact that I uh, can't get enough reading. <laughs> You're a voracious reader these, now. Yeah. These, these days, things have, things have changed. I appreciate learning a lot more now than when I had to do learning all the time. Mm. Um, but in terms of that focus, I think sports always been such a passion for me. Both mm. of my parents are sports people. I'm one of five boys. We're all heavily into sport. My life growing up was pretty much sport, 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 sport. And I think that taught me a lot of great life lessons, a lot about determination, a lot about leadership. If I think about the sports people that I always admired growing up, it was always the leaders. It was always the captain. It was always, the I think, the values-based leader. And I think that was probably where maybe some of that thinking came from. But at the time, I couldn't really crystallize it like that. So then growing up then, coming yeah. back to this idea of about, you know, nutrition and preparation, that yeah. sort of thing, were, yeah. your, were your parents quite influential in trying to foster those sorts of behaviors? And if so, how did that manifest itself? Uh, not overly influential. I learned different things about discipline and determination from my mum uh, and my dad in, in different ways. I learned different things about the importance of preparation, but they weren't things that were just ingrained mm. in me. I feel like those are, I don't know, like you've got this, this great discussion or debate around, is it nature, is it nurture, is it genetics, yeah. is it environment? We'll never be able to definitively answer that question. And the answer is it's probably a combination of the two, but in mm. varying degrees in different situations. I think some of that for me is, is nature, is genetics, and a part of it uh, is, is nurture. But I think in terms of that focus on discipline and being regimented, I'm, I'm a bit of a, not a black sheep, or a bit of an outlier, I guess, in my, in my family. You know, there's, some, there's some achievers in there, but mm-hmm. just in terms of the way that we go about things, you know, there's, uh, I've, I've probably taken it to a, rightly or wrongly to, to a different mm-hmm. level. And maybe jumping around a bit yeah. here, but have you done anything in particular trying to cultivate that discipline? Not really. I mean, I've got, I've got rituals mm-hmm. and I've got habits. I think they're probably what have worked well for me. Mm-hmm. Um, Can you give us an example yeah. of maybe what some of those might be? Oh, just, just in terms of when I get up in the morning, what do I do? What do I eat? When do I eat? When do I sleep? How do I look after myself from a spiritual point of view? Mm-hmm. I guess I've always just had some things that I've always felt like I'm unwilling to trade on mm-hmm. the non-negotiables and not just because I enjoy those things necessarily, but because if I think you want to be ambitious and you want to achieve great things and 
do a lot of great work and get a lot into your 24 hours. You know, everyone's got 24 hours. What you make of those 24 hours is up to you. And I think there are just some fundamental pillars that you need to have in place that are enablers to allow you to maximise your output and what you can get out of a day and the progress that you can make over a defined period of time. So I kind of see it as a means to an end. Mm -hmm. Now, I enjoy looking after myself and eating well and these different kind of things, but I kind of feel like if I don't do those things and I let those habits break down, Mm -hmm. then ultimately it will just be to my own detriment in terms of all of my other ambitions and and goals as well. So um, they they really are more than anything a means to an end. Yeah. I think one thing that you and I actually spoke about not too long ago is I'm a big Tim Ferriss fan. And Tim Ferriss, I just had Jocko Willing on his podcast, uh, I guess it was a couple months back. And Jocko talks about this idea of discipline equals freedom. And I, I remember listening to the podcast and it being a very, it was really one of those kind of running into a wall moments. Or what I mean is I remember literally stopping where I was. I was walking home, pausing it, pausing the podcast and actually just standing there and really just sitting on that moment. And I'd be curious to know how, does that sort of resonate within how you sort of view your life? De- definitely. It's funny you say that. I want to publicly thank you for getting me onto the Tim Ferriss <laughs> podcast because uh, I'm only, I've only recently really been getting into podcasts and you were a real catalyst for that and you were banging on about the quality of Tim Ferriss' podcast. So I'm on board. So Tim, if you're listening, I'm sure you are. You can thank <laughs> Dustin for getting me on board. You've got one more subscriber. But that particular podcast, I listened to that too and I had a very similar moment, maybe a, maybe a slightly different moment in that podcast, but it was still around that concept of discipline and the the value of discipline and people not recognizing the value of discipline necessarily i think he was talking about there was viewer questions wasn't there there was there was questions from the listeners mm. there was about eight or nine questions that he went through on the podcast and one of those questions was how do you stay motivated all the time and his response was so succinct yeah. um, I, I literally stopped where i was and i replayed it and then i took some notes on my phone because I thought some of those statements are so powerful. I don't want to forget them. Like, mm. I've got to jot them down. And he was talking about the concept of motivation and how little emphasis you should place on it because mm. motivation, it just, it's so volatile. Mm, it's it wanes day to day, week to week. He said, why would I rely on something that I can lose when I have a donut because mm. my blood sugar levels spike? Yeah. Why would I rely on that? And I thought that's such a great point. He said, you need to rely on discipline. Well, discipline is where it's at. So and I think, it cer- yeah. certainly, certainly has resonated, resonated with me. And I think that um, it allows you to focus on the controllables. You can control discipline. Mm. You can control your attitude. What you can't control is necessarily your level of motivation all the time. So mm. don't, don't rely on it. Absolutely. And I think one thing too, one of the things I've taken on, I know I see you this with as well too, is that discipline isn't just about making that decision in the moment, whether to have the donut or have the celery that you've packed, but it's actually the preparation and actually creating a life where you have those easy alternatives, right? So one of the big things I focus on is I always, always prepare my lunch, always prepare my meals on a Sunday uh, and a Wednesday, and then basically that's ready to go. So I don't have the choice I don't have to worry about waking up one morning and thinking, oh, I'm going to put my lunch together. It's already done. So then when I'm at work or I'm out and about, I don't have to go, oh, my blood sugar is low. Okay, I'm, I'm hungry. I'm going to make that bad decision. I'm going to, I'm going to lose that motivation, that discipline on my goals. It's, it's easy. I've created a system for myself through those rituals and habits and the discipline to keep those on that it makes it easy for me to, to have a healthy alternative right there, then and there. And that, that's the, that it, 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 cause 
at that minute, that's mm. my decision. That's my decision. And it's easier than having to, whether it's just donut or no donut, to donut to a healthier meal that I know I should have. So Let's be honest. You don't eat many donuts. <laughs> We're sitting here. He's got a black tea on. The, the, the guns are protruding out of this, this black shirt in a way that you've never seen. You should take a photo and put it on the show notes for your listeners. Wait, 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 yeah. A little, little later yeah. down the road. But yeah. I mean, you, Great point. I mean, you're one of the best. You're one of the best exponents of discipline that that I've seen. And there's a level of regimen that you need to be disciplined consistently. And like Nathan, my twin brother, says, it's about the three P's: mm. prepare, prepare, prepare. And if you don't prepare well enough, it's really hard to keep up those habits, yeah. and keep up those those rituals. So, I certainly certainly think you're on the money. Fantastic. Now, now, just kind of going back a little bit. So. One of the things that I found really interesting about yourself is your 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 passion. Or I think the the seeds for what you do now at Verse and what you described earlier has actually been laid a long time ago. I'd love for you to maybe just kind of tell us a little bit about when you were in uh, I think it was in in grade school and really where those cultivations of money and, and financial literacy and uh, that sort of thing and, your, and where those beliefs came from and how you how you worked within those beliefs. Grade school, huh? Is that what they call it in Canada? Grade school, yeah, absolutely. I never even know. I'm so interested in Canada. <laughs> grade and, school. Yeah. Is that primary school or is that high school? Uh, anything. I think it's uh, between kindergarten and... They're all grade grades. 12. Yeah. What do you call it yeah. here again? It's Primary school and high school. Yeah, that's what yeah. we call it too, yeah. Okay. I thought you guys called something else here. It was like... Year, no, you guys call it year 12, year, year 11. 12, that's yeah. what it, that's yeah. what it yeah. throws me off. So out. you've got grades in yeah. primary school and years in, yeah. in high school. So. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for clarifying what, your question. <laughs> a little cultural um, exchange yeah. there, I appreciate so that. So in grade slash year school, um, in terms of financial literacy, I, going back to, to parenting and that nurture concept, I think the environment that I grew up in with my parents has had a big impact on how I think about money. My parents put up when I was about five and I was living with mum after that, mum and, and my stepdad. And at the time and for a while, we had very little very, very little by the sort of standards that you that we have in this lucky country. Mm. And I saw them work hard and be disciplined and make sacrifices to get ahead financially over a long period of time and build a life that now gives them the freedom and the flexibility to just pursue the things that they really value. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's travel, it's golf, it's having a couple of holiday homes here and there, it's having more time away from the business, it's being able to slow down now that they're kind of getting over things from a, from a career point of view and they've got that freedom and flexibility. And for that reason or maybe other reasons, I always have been so intent on making sure that money doesn't get in the way of me living the life that I want to live because for so many people in life, money just holds them back. Mm. The reality is that most of the things that you want to do in life experiences that you want to have, the goals that you want to achieve, even if you don't call them goals, they're goals, they need money, they need to be facilitated, they need to be funded and I just want to live a great life and I want to get as many experiences into my life as I can and I just don't want to have to make compromises based on not having enough money. Mm -hmm. If I want to do X or I want to do Y, I want to be able to do it and that doesn't happen overnight. It, that takes discipline and work, like no one hands that to you, you've, mm-hmm. got to, you've got to earn that position and there's no one I know that got to that position without the hard work, so I'm up for the work, but I guess I always just felt like I don't want money to get in the way of me living a great life and I don't want to get in the way for other people either and I, was, I learned to save young and be disciplined and think about the future and think long term and I think I've always been a bit of a coach, a bit of a preacher and an advice giver. You know, I, I mean, I think this is 
one of the reasons why I ended up in financial advice. And when I got here, it just felt right. And going through, more so through high school than primary school, <laughs> um, you know, I started investing in high school, late high school, and I was borrowing money to invest in the share market and, and that kind of thing. And, you know, I was giving advice to others around mm. the merits of saving and not taking on that personal loan to buy that car at 18. And where did yeah. you, when you were starting that journey, where did you go about learning about it or trying to get the information in order to, to, make, those, to make those investments? Even myself as a, as a, as a late 20-something-year-old yeah. to think about taking my own money and just putting it into the stock market and starting yeah. to invest, I think it's so big and complicated. Yeah. Where, did, where did you go through that at such a young age? Good question. My, my grandfather, who's, who's, uh, who's now been gone for a few years, he had built up quite a bit of wealth through the share market and uh, he took it upon himself, I think maybe once I asked for a bit of help, he spent some time with me and taught me at the time, which was some, just some basic fundamentals around investing mm. and share market and how you need to think about things. And I look back now that he's gone, you know, and I, I, I cherish those moments and it's a bit of a legacy that maybe he's left with me. But I mean, that's just, that's knowledge. You can acquire knowledge, but I think what's more important is having the right values and beliefs, believing that you should be focused on getting ahead and mm. making sacrifices and not living a life of instant gratification. I think mm. if you have those values and beliefs in place, then it'll, it's the platform to go and find the knowledge and mm. then apply the knowledge. So you've got to start there, I think. Do you think yeah. for, for the people listening who are maybe trying to go about cultivating discipline back to this sort of idea, mm. do you think there's things that people can do to sort of inoculate themselves to to be more disciplined? I mean, we, we all know that we could save more, eat better, exercise more, love our, you know, you know, spend more time with friends and family, that sort of thing. Yep. But so often we get so easily caught up in these instant gratifications of the donut or the social media and all these sorts of things. Do you think there's something that people can do to try to inoculate themselves towards the better things or towards that discipline? I think they can listen to your podcast. It's not about the how-to, it's about the why-to, yeah. right? So, I mean, that's, that's the whole premise of, of these podcasts. But yes, I think there is. There's no, there's no exact science here. But if you were to do one thing, if you wanted to be more disciplined, I'd say hang around with people that are more disciplined. Mm. Get good people around you. Yeah, I think it, yeah. Jim Rohn? Yeah. yeah, what a great quote. Yeah. And it's, it's so true. Yeah. Um, if you're lacking discipline and you're not achieving the things that you want to achieve, have a look at the five people that are closest to you mm. and ask yourself, how disciplined are they? What are they achieving? And if you're achieving very little, there's a very high likelihood they're also achieving very little. Mm. Mm-hmm. So if you want to be more disciplined, bring more disciplined people into your life, spend more time with them, and their habits will, quicker than you realize, mm-hmm. um, start to just flow into your own life and into your own thinking. But you've got to be open-minded enough and self-aware enough to recognize that that's a flaw that you have Flaw is maybe not the right word, but that's maybe, maybe a quality that you haven't yet acquired is mm-hmm. probably a better way to say it and find people that have acquired it. Mm-hmm. I know that's something you actively do as well too. And again, not, not trying to jump around too much. I think it'll be a bit of a theme, but sure. is, how do you go about trying to find people that are, who have greater skills in those areas that, you, that you're trying to cultivate yourself and, and you want to rub off? How do you go about trying to find those people and connect with them? It happens in so many different ways. I'm not, I'm not overly calculated in how I do that. I'm not overly calculated in too many things, to be honest. <laughs> There's a simplicity to how I think at times, I think. But I think you put yourself out there. Mm-hmm. I think when you're clear on who you are and the sort of values that you have 
and you put yourself out there and you put yourself in situations where you're going to meet new people, you're going to come out of your comfort zone, you're going to be in the environment where you're more likely to meet the kind of people that you want Absolutely. to meet. I think and that's so key right there is finding, finding, yeah. finding the commonality or finding the place where people will naturally flock to that with that commonality because the, the introduction, you don't have to be worried about introduction, you just talk about what you love. And you have that instant connection with that person. And just what an amazing place to start from. It, exactly right. It's 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 what I've found over time is the clearer I've become on who I am and what I'm doing and why I'm doing it, and the more clarity that I have. It's weird, but you just attract these people into your life. You know, mm -hmm. Simon Sinek says in Start With Why that they're drawn to you like a moth to a light bulb. <laughs> and it's so true. I think there's an evolutionary process that needs to happen to get there, mm -hmm. but I think you start with putting yourself in the right environment around the right kind of people and put yourself out there, be open-minded, have conversations, ask questions, and it just kind of goes from there. You meet one person who you have that alignment with, they introduce you to another person, mm -hmm. and then you meet another person, and then you have lunch together, and they bring two people that are just like you, and before you know it, you've got a whole tribe of people around you in your life in different areas and pockets of your life that are really aligned to you. That's a really empowering experience to go through. Mm. I think one of the things too I found really impactful kind of going off that is um, your co-founder and business partner, James O'Reilly, introduced me to these, uh, to these events that happen all over the world called Fuck Up Nights. And basically the whole premise of it is really simple, that it's, it's events where people can come together and listen to people who have basically fucked up. And quite often they're people in, in business or have done some sort of journey uh, themselves, but really talked about what, what are the errors they made. And I found it incredibly refreshing because I know one area that myself is being a little bit more okay with failing because quite often my, my fear and even, you know, sometimes even starting this podcast was essentially, I'm, I'm so afraid to fail that I just don't start. And if you don't start, you don't get the opportunity to learn and be better. And I intellectually understand that, but emotionally it can be quite challenging. So these events I think are fantastic to go to and begin to sort of surround yourself with those people and hear mm. those stories. And mm. naturally you meet people like that and you begin to, it begins to rub off on you as well mm. too. So I, I, I really think back in the last six months and that's been, that's been an area of opportunity I've yeah. identified in myself and, and how I've gone about that. And it's it's still a journey I'm on. It's still a journey I'll be, I'll be on for quite a while. I just think where I'm at compared to where I was has been has been absolutely huge. Yeah, I'd be keen to come along to those fuck up nights. They sound like a, like a great concept. Absolutely. So I, next time you're, you're heading there, mate, uh, shoot me an invite. But you're right. I think when you think about your own internal thoughts and your own challenges and your own limiting beliefs, it's it can be really easy to think that you're the only person in the world that has those thoughts or those limiting beliefs. <laughs> yeah. But the reality is there's just so many people out there that are thinking the same things that you're thinking right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when you surround yourself with those people and there needs to be an element of vulnerability to be able to open up with people, but say, look, I'm having this challenge. I'm having that challenge too. Mm -hmm. I haven't, I haven't started my pod. I had the idea for the podcast three years ago, but I haven't started because I'm afraid of failing. How are you going with that? Well, I was feeling that too, but I overcame it by doing these things. Mm -hmm. Maybe I should do those things too. Yeah, yeah. So you're spot, spot on. Yeah. I've actually had that exact same conversation with one of my future guests who uh, won't be named yet, won't be named yet, I don't have a date yet, but he's actually, we very much support each other on this journey. He's actually just recently launched his podcast. Really? Okay. So we've been really important just sending the text message every once in a while to say, great, this is what I got to do, yeah. this is what I got to do it by. And then we just kind of have just a very informal text exchange. Hey, it's this date. 
how did you go with that? Oh, I haven't done it because of this. And that's okay. You know, yeah. there's challenges through, through any journey, but holding each other accountable that, you know, that text message is coming. So sometimes where I've inoculated myself in the sense that sometimes I don't always have that internal motivation. Mm-hmm. I know I need to do mm-hmm. it, but I'm, I'm struggling a bit. So yeah. trying to find that external resource and Tim Ferriss talks about the, it's not about lack of incentives. It's lack of punishment sometimes as yeah. well too. We're Accountability. More, yeah, yeah. We're more risk adverse yeah. than we are necessarily. So trying to create those and there's websites that you can put money on um, achieving a certain goal. So yeah. I think that you put money towards like a charity or something yeah. or a cause yeah. you don't want the money to go to yeah. and then it forces you to then you know, commit to whatever you've committed. And if you mm. don't achieve that, mm. then the money goes to this, this awful, awful charity yeah, kind of thing, okay. right? So I just think stuff like that is... It's an interesting way of looking at it. Yeah. But I certainly agree that having a, having a goal buddy is incredibly valuable because mm. your own... We've all inherently got flaws, particularly when it comes to motivation and discipline. We're all imperfect to varying degrees. There's a book called Life in Half a Second written by a guy called Matthew Michaelwitz. Mm-hmm. And it really is a really simple five-step guide to how do you set and achieve goals mm. and recognize that your life is fleeting and you've only got a really short period of time to get shit done, basically. Mm-hmm. And you can read this thing in a day. I'd recommend if you're ambitious and you what haven't done the book Life in Half a Second and maybe your outcomes and your progress isn't a reflection of your own internal sense of ambition, maybe there's some missteps in the way that you're setting goals and pursuing them. So this book is a great book, but on the back of that book, he's got a video series which is designed around finding a goal buddy to keep you accountable. Mm. And there are some steps on that journey that you share with someone else to you know, you achieve your goals and they achieve yours, but you're there, you've got each other's back, mm-hmm. you're holding each other accountable. You know, when you're when you're waning, they're picking you up and, and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Now, just, just going back a little bit, um, as you were kind of describing earlier, obviously your your, your passion for uh, financial literacy and understanding the importance of money was, was really important. Now, I'd love for you to talk a bit about your your journey into actual financial advice because that's that's not really where you where you thought you were going to go at the end of uni, was it? No, it wasn't. I uh, I got to the end of uni. I uni was meant to take four years. It took me five, and that's because I did quite a bit of work in between. I had periods where I was working full time studying part-time. At one point, I had like three jobs and one volunteer job. So life was pretty hectic through there. So at the end of the five years, I actually did my my final year at uni. I did an internship at the AFL. And I'd always wanted to work at the AFL. Well, actually, I wanted to be be a footballer. And then when I got to the point where I wasn't going to be a footballer, I wanted to work in sports. And not sure whether it was going to be in journalism or in management or or, or whatever, but I knew I wanted to be in sports. That's how I felt anyway. And I did my internship there at the AFL. And uh, at the end of the year, I was hoping to get a role. What I was told was that we've put a communications role together for you in the department that I've been working in, uh, but it needs to be approved by the AFL Commission. Um, It wasn't approved by the AFL Commission. They said, look, we're not going to provide the resources Mm -hmm. for that role at this point. This was early in the GFC. And uh, yeah, unfortunately, um, we'd like to have you, but there's no role here. When I look back, I think I actually made a few missteps uh, along the way. We won't go into those today, but uh, I think it was a bit of a naivety to a couple of the things that I did there um, and whether that had an impact. I'll never know. I'm not concerned about it. But I finished my uni and finished my internship, and I was at this really interesting point where I was like, okay, well, I've been so set on getting this role at the AFL. It's not happening right now. I need to start looking elsewhere. But at the same time, I had this other passion and hobby that had built up over time around finance. And 
investing and I had a what now is a, a brother-in-law actually who was a financial advisor at one of the big banks and I used to talk to him all the time about the share market and investing and to a degree his work and I was always intrigued. I'd actually put together a business plan to actually go into high schools and teach high school students just fundamentals around investing, saving, discipline, context for decision making and awareness, goal setting, just teaching them basically what mindset you need to take to money and some elementary stuff to and, and was that was that modeled off off of you and what you slowly been basically developing yourself and, and putting that all together to a package you could deliver off your lessons and what you'd found out? That's exactly what it was. Yeah. All I had was my own lessons. And I look back now, I mean, I thought that I was equipped to do that at the time. But I look back now <laughs> with all the knowledge I've acquired in five, six years. And, and at the time, I actually thought that not being a financial advisor yeah. was was a selling point for this business model. To be able to say to people, look, I'm not a financial advisor. You don't need to be a financial advisor to make good decisions, Mm. to have the right mindset. And you you, you just don't. When I was sharing this business idea with the advisor that, uh, that I knew, he said, look, would you consider being a financial advisor? Have you thought about that? And I actually hadn't even thought about that concept. Mm. And uh, as soon as he said it, I thought, geez, I can't believe I haven't thought of that. But yes, yes, I would. I'm not going to jump straight into it, but I certainly think it's worth exploring. There's enough passion here and there's enough intrigue. So I spent a bit of time with him in his workplace, just a couple of days. I left that experience thinking I could really enjoy this. Mm -hmm. But I also felt like I could really enjoy pursuing marketing, PR, sport. And I, I really was at this phase where I was incredibly indecisive, incredibly indecisive. I couldn't make a decision. And Mm -hmm. I really try and pride myself on being very decisive, mm-hmm. but I couldn't make this decision. And Christy, my, my fiance, she was really valuable at this point and said, look, it's hard to make a decision. You could make either decision. Either one could work. Either one could not work. What you actually have to do is make a decision <laughs> and pursue it. And if you want to change course, change course, yeah. you know, big deal. So I basically did a, a, a coin flip in my head to mm. pick one of these pursuits. And it was financial advice. It really felt like it was that, that close. Mm-hmm. Made the decision, started studying financial advice formally enough so I could actually be employable. Mm-hmm. And I uh, did that over the course of 12 months, got a role at a bank and, and went from there and, and literally have not for a moment looked back or second guessed that decision mm-hmm. or that coin flip. <laughs> I think what you said there too is so impactful. And I think one of the big things I've got as well too is that Obviously, you're, you're highly structured and you're a highly analytical guy. I mean, every every step, and I think as, as people listening are kind of getting a bit of a sense, you're, you're very much planning and preparation sort of thing. But I love, too, that at the end of it, you have to do it. You have to just, just jump in both feet. I remember a journey when I first came to Australia, and I was very much stuck between two seemingly very similar uh, opportunities as well, too. And I remember my, my partner at the time as well. She was she, she, she started to roll her eyes because I'm going, well, what about this and what about that? And, you know, lists everywhere and having all these conversations, which were all, all really beneficial. But I, I really feel that after a certain point through those conversations and those lists, I was just trying to, I was trying to find somebody to make the decision for me. And yeah. uh, it's it's it stopped being introspective and started being whenever the opposite of introspective is introspective. Yeah. Um, but I remember just going, no, I have to I have to make a decision. And I think what you said too about 
pissy said, look, if you, if you have to change position, if you have to change directions, big deal. Yeah. You know, it's, that's okay. Exactly right. You know, you know, yeah. it's, it's only a little bit of time and, and pivoting. And I think that's what I'm excited too for, for this generation as well too. And, and what we do is it's becoming, it's becoming more acceptable that you can do that. It's yeah. becoming less that, nope, sorry, this is your career. You're, you're yeah. a lawyer. Now you got to become a lawyer, right? Yeah. Whereas yeah. you find people from all these interesting walks of life mm-hmm. that never intended to be on the journey that they're on. They've just kind of, you know, gotten there. And that's obviously what I'm looking forward to telling more stories about. But one of the things I'd love for you to tell us a little bit more about too, while you're at the bank is obviously some of this, this, this passion for passion for money and starting your own business never mm. really went away. Can you, mm. can you kind of talk to us a little bit about the early, the early form of, of, of verse essentially and, and how that came about? Sure. So I, I started the bank in 2011 and I wasn't, I wasn't in a financial advisor role. I was working for a financial advisor where mm-hmm. I was doing a lot of the admin and booking client meetings and helping prepare financial plans and the like, and really just kind of learning the ropes, mm-hmm. so to speak. Uh, like, a, like a 12-month apprenticeship, I guess, is probably mm-hmm. a good way to describe it. And what was really clear to me almost immediately was the disconnect between my own personal values and the way advice was delivered and the way the business was conducted. I mentioned earlier that how I think about money was how I thought about financial advice. You know, I, I went into the advice industry, maybe there's a, naive, a sense of naivety here too, where I thought that the role of the advisor was to sit down with Dustin and partner and have great conversations about where are you guys at? in life, personally, individually, collectively, financially. What are you working towards? What are your priorities? What do you value? What's getting in the way? What's holding you back? What stresses do you have that money's causing in your life? Where does that come from? And once you have these great conversations with people where you actually get to know them, know what their motivations are, know what they're working towards, know what their goals are, at that point, that's when you start to become the advisor. Mm. And that's when you start to give people advice. You give them strategy. You coach them if they need it. You hold them accountable if they need it. You give them leadership if they need it so that they can get more of the things that they want and that they value and you can start to remove some of the stresses mm. or the uncertainties from their life. That's what I thought financial advisors did, right? But I got to the bank and it was the complete opposite. You know, it was having a preset solution typically based around a financial product mm. and waiting for people to come in and basically being able to pitch them or trying to convince them that they should take off that product that may or may not add at most an insignificant amount of value to their life quite often. Mm. And for me, that was, that was kind of alarm bells in the sense that I knew that if I was going to be in advice for the long term, that that's not the sort of advice I was going to deliver. And it could have such a bigger impact on people. It could actually do the sort of things that I was talking about. Mm. But the, and viewers probably aren't familiar with the financial advice industry and how it works. Some may have more idea than others, but the infrastructure of the industry is built around moving people between one superannuation fund to another or writing as much insurance as possible because the advisor gets a commission based on how much insurance Mm -hmm. a client might take. And it never really focused on solving problems or achieving things for people. Well, it's not the client's problems. Yeah, <laughs> the it, banks, I'm sure, we're probably getting it, problems solved. Yeah, it, financial it, it, Exactly right. And that's, that's what it's about. And very, very few people in this country, at least, seek financial advice. But 
almost everyone needs it. Almost mm. everyone would get value from it. So why does this gap exist and how can we actually fill this gap? And that was where the, I guess, the seeds of the business of what is now Burst came from. It was, well, how do we actually deliver advice mm. in a way to people at scale that does the sort of things that I'm describing? It's the sort of advice that if I'm going to give advice to people, I want to be able to stand behind it with absolute pride and conviction and look people in the eye and say, we're really making a difference to you. you know, this is really valuable work and it matters. Mm. And you know, that was the philosophy that we've, we started with and we've still got and we're, we're trying to build that vehicle now, I guess. Mm -hmm. So very early on in the piece, you've talked about how you, uh, you did what every business owner, every aspiring yeah. business owner has done at some point, yeah. open up the Google Doc start writing the business plan. Sure. How did you yeah. how did you go about when you were writing yeah. that business plan? Because as you mentioned earlier, it wasn't your yeah. first one, at least in concept, yeah. and yeah. you sort of always had that mind for it. Sure. How did you go about actually sitting down and crafting it? Can you kind of take us through your thought process and your thought journey around that? Beyond the values and what you were trying to achieve out of it, the actual nuts and bolts of how would you would actually deliver on that on that vision and what that mission you thought? In terms of how the business plan was put together at the time? Yeah. Yeah. Well it was it was Part calculated, part messy. And I don't think that's a bad place to start with a business plan. I think you can overcomplicate a business plan. And you can, and I did, invest too much time in a business plan. I think you just want to be clear on why are we doing it? How do we intend to do it? What are we going to do? Mm -hmm. All at a high level. You don't need to go into minute depth in a business plan. But in terms of the process for me personally, it was about clarifying my thoughts and my philosophies and my beliefs mm -hmm. around advice and actually getting that down on yeah, paper exactly and, right yeah. exactly right that's where we started getting that down on, on paper and then for quite a while there and i still am, i became a student of business you know i become quite obsessive actually i think i'm a little bit ocd actually <laughs> i'm happy to i'm happy to share that um about preparing myself as well as i possibly could mm -hmm. for building this business and the, the resources i was using was i was reading an enormous amount of books reading a lot of articles, watching different videos and TED Talks and all kinds of things. It's not all just focused on advice, but focused on business, people, leadership. And is there anything, just as you, as you go through that, anything yeah. that, that really popped out as being the most impactful, just for anybody listening that's looking to go on that journey themselves? Yeah, sure. Well, I mentioned Simon Sinek earlier mm -hmm. uh, and uh, his first book, Start With Why. For me personally, in terms of having a purpose-built business, mm -hmm. I think to have one of those, you need to be able to clearly articulate what that purpose is mm -hmm. in a way that it resonates with other people. That book for me helped clarify and codify a lot of my thoughts with simplicity, which was a really valuable process to go through. It's still a process that I'm on, mind you. Mm -hmm. So Start With Why, I think, is a book that any business reader should, business owner, should read before they start, maybe when you're going through that planning process. But a few other resources that I came across at the time. Seth Godin, mm, yeah. uh, if you remember Seth. Yeah. Uh, he's, a he's a marvel, isn't he? Yeah, he is. Yeah. Reminds me a lot of yeah. you, I think, as well, too. And obviously, my, my That's a compliment that I just is, won't accept. I, honestly, I, th yeah. I think it is. But I think in the, I think in the perspective yeah. Yeah. that, you, that he, he talks about marketing as well, too, and, and the way you look at things, I, I do see those sort of similarities as well, too, because marketing is so full of just bullshit. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, like you kind of talked about, we've talked about the financial world is so full of bullshit. Yeah. Um, but you just have an amazing way of really just boiling it down and coming to these really, you know, 
core principles of these ideas, just these, these little nuggets that are so effective. And, I, and that's the thing I've enjoyed at least watching you on your business and our other conversations. And I'm sure we'll, we'll speak about more today and in, in future, future podcasts. But anyway, I interrupt your story. So we got um, Seth Godin, yep. we got Simon Sinek. Yeah, well, with, with Seth, he's, he's one of the great storytellers and his understanding of marketing and storytelling and people and why do people make the decisions that they make is is just second to none mm. and he's got a lot of great books out there and I think in terms of wanting to have an impact on the advice industry and getting more people to take up advice as a profession of advisors we're not going to be able to do that by preaching features and benefits mm. to people you know we're not going to do that by having billboards that explain what salary sacrifice is mm-hmm. or how self-managed super funds work there's a story to advice and it's a story about the people that get it and what do they achieve? What impact does it have? And what are the things that they value? Mm-hmm. That maybe in some ways that you can quantify and others that you can't, you've been able to help them attain. So I guess this concept of what is the story of advice and how do we go about telling and sharing that story? Mm-hmm. So much of that came from Seth, which Seth, if you're listening, <laughs> I'm thankful for. You've got a great podcast too, by the way, Startup School. That's yeah. a great one that I listened to as I was putting the business plan yeah. together. You're welcome, Seth. <laughs> uh, aside from Seth, I think one of the other guys I came across at the time was Gary Vaynerchuk. Uh, Gary Vaynerchuk, yeah. Gary V? Gary V. I don't think Gary V's listening. He's probably on Twitter or, oh, or doing some give, sort of Give me a shout out, yeah. He, uh, you kind of love him and hate him, Gary V, in the <laughs> sense that he's a remarkable individual. He operates on a level that I've just never seen before. That in a lot of ways, I have enormous respect for. In other ways, I just question. Mm. But his understanding of modern day business and social media and how do you market these days and how do you connect with people online at scale in a really authentic way where it's not bullshit and you're not just trying to sell people Mm -hmm. and it's not all about you you're actually giving value to people Mm -hmm. you actually care for them which is what most businesses don't do it's just all about them Mm -hmm. we're the oldest we've been around 100 years we've got the best staff we've got the best products we've got the cheapest prices exactly right all that all that garbage he he was and still is uh super valuable. So if you are a business owner, um, I'd suggest that you jump on Gary Vaynerchuk's Facebook page, Mm -hmm. hit like. He's got content coming out every four and a half minutes on Facebook these days, but it's uh, very philosophical, most of it, but it's, it's, it's powerful stuff. He's, he's, Mm. uh, he's got a very high level of self-awareness. Absolutely. You know, one thing too, I was thinking about as, as you're kind of going through that list and thinking about, you know, all these guys have amazing podcasts and amazing content out there. And I, I suppose in a sense of what I'm trying to do, coming back to what we talked about earlier about you're the average of the five people you spend most time around. There's a lot of individuals out there who just don't have the ability to take, you know, their time. You know, the Tim Ferriss, the Gary Vaynerchuk, the Seth Godin's of the world. Yeah. They're so busy. Yeah. But that's where I find resources, like you've just described, whether it be the books, the podcasts are amazing because it's it's not maybe the same as sitting across from them, but the, the value I think you can get out of just listening to them, not not in just the, the tips and the tactics, but their, their thoughts, their views, how they interpret the world, you know, what they think is valuable, how they how they view their journey is so impactful. And mm. I think obviously why I'm excited to sit down with you today, because I think if, if, if people can get even just a fraction of the benefit of listening to you, the way I've been able to through our journey, I think it's going to be absolutely impactful. And it's already been so impactful through through this podcast. So mm. appreciate you for that. You're, you're welcome. On that point, so many people are out there trying to find mentors. Some of the best mentors you will never meet. Mm. Gary Vaynerchuk might be your mentor. Barack Obama might be your mentor because you watch YouTube videos of mm. him every day. Now, you don't have to meet these people. 
you know, having a coffee with them would be fantastic. Absolutely. But you can get so much value from the books that people put out, the content they put out. You can get to the heart of who they are, their life lessons, what's worked for them, what hasn't. It's just invaluable stuff. Mm. It's the best investment in time that you can make. Absolutely yeah. agree. I think just on that as well too, again, big Tim Ferriss fan. Yeah. I think I think of all the time that in terms of my learning and my, yeah. my growth and, and time I'm sitting down, whether it be reading or online courses or anything else, I think the time in, during the Tim Ferriss podcast has been by far the greatest return on investment. There's, you know, I remember he was talking about creating podcasts and the idea was that you couldn't create two, three hour long podcasts. Nobody would listen to it. Mm. But in fact, I listened to many of his podcasts two, three, four times. I think the, mm. the Josh Waitzkin podcast, the second one, it's about mm. three and it's three, three and a half hours, I think. Yeah. I'll put a link in the show notes, but I've listened sure. to it probably almost a dozen times now. And every time I just get a little bit more of a nugget out of there. So yeah, it's been amazing. So one of the things I'd love to do now, Corey, is just to transition to the start of verse. I mean, we've talked about how you've gone, you put this business plan together. And I think so many people have these business plans, but they, they just have a problem getting started. How did you go about getting it started and get the ball rolling there? pretty simple uh, we set a date James and I said we're going to start by this date this was back in 2014 uh, it was earlier in that year and we said um, by the end of the year we're going to leave the bank uh, and we're going to start uh, earlier the following year in 2015 so we just had a timeline so then we basically reverse engineered what we need to do we said well we've got nine months what can we get done what's most important in terms of that planning process and we just said about planning as well as we could through that period and when the time came we were incredibly eager you know mm. I remember just kind of feeling just like a like a caged lion almost <laughs> you know, I had so much pent-up passion and purpose for this business and I was in a role for quite a while that wasn't necessarily getting the best of me I was still delivering in my role and I wasn't mm. failing there but my heart wasn't in it you know we were both equally keen to get started as soon as we could. And the fact that we just had a timeline in mind made that pretty easy. Wow. I think one of the most challenging conversations too, that probably any, any entrepreneur, any, any entrepreneur that wants to at least start the business goes through is, is rolling over to your partner one morning and going, sweetheart, we're not going to have any income for a certain amount of time. I'm going to leave my, my great paying job where I'm secure and I'm comfortable and I'm doing well. And I'm going to go off on my own. How did you have that conversation with, with your partner? How did she take it? it? Well, it wasn't a conversation because we talk regularly and communicate regularly. She knew this was coming for a very long period of time. Mm -hmm. And there was this phase of infancy where the ideas were coming together and the business plan was being worked on and a date hadn't been set yet. But she knew all of that was coming. It was just a matter of when. Mm -hmm. So there, was not, there wasn't one particular conversation where I sat her down and said, well, honey, I want to do this business thing. And she's like, well, <laughs> tell me more about that. Yeah. <laughs> what does that mean for us? Yeah. So that conversation just never happened. And I'm fortunate to have just an enormous amount of support for her. And f the faith that she puts in me is, is pretty much unwavering, which, you know, honey, if you're listening, I'm appreciative of. But, uh, you know, it was just a matter of as as she knew that was coming and we would talk about it, she was excited by the idea just like I was. We were at the same time working on building as much capital as we could, mm. as big a buffer as we could build financially to give us as much breathing space as possible to get through you know, those first couple of years in the business. From a financial point of view, it's challenging. Now I think that uh, getting things off the ground from a revenue point of view took longer than maybe I'd anticipated. And we, you know, we built up a bit of money that 
we could uh, we could live off for a few years before he started uh, taking a wage. And I'm glad that we had a big buffer because we we used it, mate. So from there, I think that's an interesting interesting segmentation. Another question I have is: so you 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 start the business or the date hits, you start the business, you're out there, you're chugging along. Obviously, mm-hmm. you anticipate challenges, but can you tell us a bit more about maybe some of the early challenges and and, and what they were and what you did to overcome them? Um, it's hard to be specific about one thing. Anyone that's started a business, has a startup, is an entrepreneur, knows that there's just hundreds of challenges all of the time. The challenges just evolve and they just look different as you go and as you move on the journey. So in that early phase, I mean, I guess if I look back and I try and give you a simple answer, it would be just getting clients in quickly, mm-hmm. just having people know you're there, just building some brand credibility and awareness. And even when you get them in, because we're trying to deliver advice in a way that maybe it hasn't been delivered before, we're learning as we go. Mm-hmm. Like we don't have the perfect blueprint. Like we're, we're trying things out in these early client meetings that just aren't working, but we need to go through that process to learn that they don't work so we can evolve. Mm-hmm. And we're maybe losing some clients that otherwise might have come on board if they went through the process that, you know, the client experience that we've got now. So getting this balance between taking no shortcuts on our values and our beliefs and the sort of business that we're trying to build Mm -hmm. and making sure that we don't compromise building a great business in the long term to bring revenue in the short term, that was one of these really competing challenges that, that we had and that probably meant that we, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves mm-hmm. um, and this was one of the reasons why we tried to financially have a big buffer so we didn't need to make values-based compromises because it's a, it's a values-based business. So mm-hmm. compromising on what you stand for, what you believe, it's kind <laughs> of like that. If you're doing that early, then you're, you know, you're, in, you're in trouble. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that itself was, was a challenge, but you know, all in all, we worked through that relatively well. Yeah. I think one of the things I've found... I think it's one of your your enduring strengths through all the things we've talked about is your optimism. You know, we talked about earlier. I've known you for a while, and as we've as we've talked about things that I think would would cripple other people in terms of just fear and concern, and would maybe give up. You you always have a phenomenal way of reframing it through 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 an optimistic point of view. You still acknowledge the challenge. You're not you know sunshine and lollipops, but Mm. you have an amazing way of being able to re refocus and rearticulate something which could be challenging or detrimental into a really positive way. And I. I'd love to maybe just understand a bit more about that. Has, have you always have you always been like that? I have nature nurture, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's maybe more more nature. Um, but yeah, I have always been that way. I've always been incredibly optimistic with everything. There's a difference between optimism and blind optimism. Mm. You're talking before about sunshine and lollipops. You know, it's subjective too, right? Of course. Um, some people might view me as being a blind optimist. Mm. No one. They might be right. I don't know. I certainly value optimism. And I think that to do great things, particularly if you want to lead, you have to be optimistic. Like it's just, if you're a pessimist and you want to build a big business and be entrepreneurial, geez, you're in for a tough, you're in for a tough journey, you know, because there's just relentless amounts of challenges. So optimism is what allows you, I think, to keep the right mindset, to continue working through them and, I don't know, I've always tried to not get wrapped up in challenges. I think that there's so much uncertainty in starting a business from scratch, particularly one that doesn't look like the other ones that you've been around. Mm. You're, you're, like you're, you're doing things on the fly. 
the inherent uncertainty that comes with that, I think the only way to get around that is just to focus on what you can control. Mm-hmm. It sounds like a football coach, but it's just so true. Like, don't focus on the scoreboard. Focus on the actions that you can take day in, day out. And if you've got a sense of clarity and conviction that you're doing the right things in hopefully the right way, or certainly at least learning to do them the right way, then mm-hmm. what else are you going to do? Anything else, anything, any other thoughts on top of that are probably just unproductive, mm-hmm. creating stress, creating anxiety, and in a way that is probably self-sabotage, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing I think, um, and this will lead into a question, mm-hmm. but one of the ways I've always focused on trying to be optimistic is I find that my initial gut reaction to something negative, or, or maybe perceived can be negative, is always to initially go, oh my gosh, like that is negative, and I get a bit stuck, I can get a bit frustrated, I can get a bit despaired, if you will, but then trying to reshape that, and I go on a journey of trying to then go, okay, self-talk, work my way through that. When you have those instances where you are facing challenges, is it inherently, are you inherently optimistic right off the bat, or do you go through other than what you've talked about in terms of, you know, focusing on what you can, mm. do you do you go through any sort of process of looking to reframe that in your mind or is it just instinctual, natural to your, to, to your nature? It's just instinctive. It really, I think about some of the, the bigger challenges that I've had on my journey and when I've got those knockbacks or I've missed out on something that I absolutely had my heart set on, it's really only been the shortest and most fleeting of moments where I've been disappointed or felt down about it and just being able to flick that optimism switch. I'm not, I really don't know where that comes from, Dusty. I, I, I don't. But I think that if that's something that maybe people struggle with and they default to negativity or they default to pessimism and you want to address that, you start by knowing that you're doing it. Mm-hmm. Like You need to have a level of self-awareness, to, I think, to regulate your own thoughts and your own emotions, which drive your decision-making and your actions. You need to be able to regulate your own feelings. And to mm-hmm. do that, you need to have a reasonable level of self-awareness. And some of that is nature. Some people are born with more of that than others, but I think there are things that you can do, put yourself around the right people, have more experiences, that makes you more open-minded, mm-hmm. pursue knowledge, pursue growth. And you can build that over time. So I think that if that's a challenge, uh, I think you just need to have enough awareness to recognize it and then maybe have some strategies that I don't have to share with people to allow you to move move in the direction of optimism at Mm. least. Because to me, optimism, I think, is the root of just about everything that we do. Because if you're not optimistic about something, the reality is is that you're probably, anybody is not going to put the time or the energy in Lotus of Control mm-hmm. to actually shape and change that. So I think optimism is the key, one of the first ingredients to doing, to doing anything, really, yeah. whether it be a business or just going for that job or, you know, better relationships, anything like that. And one of the things, and I would love to hear your thoughts on mm. this because I know you're, you're avid mm. uh, practice, but is around meditation. Mm. Um, I know myself and I'm actually, I've got a blog coming out shortly where I just talk about my, talk about my practice of meditation, mm. well, not specifically about the practice, but, uh, you know, at the time of recording, I think I've sat to meditate for something about 4,500 or so minutes in meditation over the last couple of years. So That's I think phenomenal. It, yeah, it works out to, yeah. I think, over three days. And as I was trying to describe this to a colleague, which was sort of the catalyst for wanting to write this blog, is my mind used to work in terms of 
if I could describe it, it'd be 20 tabs mm. on a computer open, switching between playlists on Spotify at yeah. a frantic pace. Yeah. I've got three half-read emails and another three that I'm half in the way of typing. And mm. um, for me, meditation has come back to that, that mental and emotional awareness about myself, to start closing some of those tabs out, to start taking control about that, that mental awareness so I can be cognizant of my thoughts. And I think that's where my gut reaction and maybe this is back to the nature part, mm. is to, to be inherently pessimistic or to be inherently risk and conflict adverse, but then having through the practice of meditation the ability to sit back and say, whoa, hang on a sec, I'm thinking those, I'm thinking those feelings and being able to sort of step back from the front lines of my emotions and my mm. thoughts and be able to really understand. Maybe it is founded. Maybe, maybe those mm. thoughts of pessimism, mm. maybe it's something that I do need to be more concerned about mm. or I do need to maybe give up on that venture. But at the same time, having that, I think, the emotional awareness to say, okay, maybe those fears are unfounded. Maybe I've done things to try to prepare for that where those big fears aren't actually there's still challenges, but I've been yeah. able to put things in place. And I know you have a very, uh, you have a meditative practice as well too. Maybe, maybe to start off with, what is your meditative practice? It's, uh, it's actually very thin uh, <laughs> these days. And uh, I mean, in, with total transparency, I wish I meditated a lot more than I do. Mm. Uh, my discipline around meditation isn't as, as strong as I like it to be because it's, in terms of the ROI on the time you put into things, it's hard to compete with meditation. Mm. It doesn't take that long. And in terms of those having those 20 tabs open, as you're saying that, it's a great analogy because it resonates with me, you know, and I think it probably resonates with a lot of your listeners. You know, if you're hungry and ambitious and you've got the work ethic to match, it's really easy to not always be present and mm. not always be in the moment and thinking about the next thing or the next action you're, you're item five or the steps next ahead, but not thinking of what you need to do now to be the best at what that thing is. Exactly right. And and over time and I've felt this over time, there's a underlying sense of stress and anxiety that can just start to sip you know and feed its way, drip its way into your life. And mm. it just happens so suddenly uh, over time and you've got to check that uh, really quickly and I mean, it comes back to your thoughts and regulating your own mm -hmm. thoughts. And meditation, the times in which I've done it, is a great way of being able to step out of your own shoes and almost take a helicopter look mm. at yourself and, and say, why am I feeling that way? Why am I seeing things that way? And do I need to think differently about something? And if so, if so, how? So I, I do like to meditate in the morning use guided meditation preferably uh, Head, headspace, headspace is yeah. a great app there's a whole bunch of great apps out there one giant mind christy puts on a lot in the evening when we hop into bed it's a great way to relax before you sleep and i know i i certainly sleep incredibly well once we are uh, once we meditate before we go to bed certainly something that uh, maybe I need to take your advice like maybe I should be interviewing you and you could be um, you could be giving me some tips for our meditation doing more of it well look admittedly I, I did a quick calculation and, and even though I even though I've, I've sat for you know three and a bit days at 15 to 20 minutes a day which is through the head, headspace which I use it actually works out to a lot more if you did every day headspace is great because it gamifies the meditation which which I love for those days that sometimes you don't have that internal mm -hmm. motivation of that external saying I want to get my badge I want to do that extra day but there was actually I've gone through a very a very all or nothing relationship headspace which is sort of my personality I'm, I'm all or nothing I try to do more of the all less of the nothing but one of the things that's been really powerful for for me this year and 
is actually getting an app called Way of Life, I think it's called, I think. And back to, back for the sort of, basically what it does is you, you log on to it every day and you set three goals for yourself. And so it basically allows, it basically keeps that goal on top of mind because every day I get, a t I get a little message at 10 p.m. before I go to bed to say, hey, Dustin, have you meditated, which is one of mine? Have you journals or blogged? And have you expressed gratitude? Those three things. And, and I realize that every day I have to do those before I go to bed. So I found that my meditative practice is far more consistent because quite often you do get busy in the day and it just it's best intentions, but you know, you just never really craft the time out. But having this prompt to then allow me to think, oh yeah, I need to meditate. Thank you for reminding me out, because busy lives as we do, actually sit down and, and do that. Do you have any sort of practices? of that constant reminders that you use or anything like that? No, I don't. As, as you say that, I'm thinking about what we are talking about earlier around having a goal buddy hmm. and that concept. That app is your goal buddy. Yeah. It's that layer of accountability Absolutely. that keeps you disciplined and accountable when your motivation wanes. Yeah, I'll, uh, uh, I'll make sure I include the link as well too into the, into the show notes. It's a free app, three, three goals. Yeah. And uh, it's been incredible. And I'm, I'm, I'm always brought back to the idea and I, I can't remember who said it, but it's actually two quotes. It's how you do anything is how you do everything. And uh, it's not about what you do well, it's about what you do consistently. I think that might be a Jim Rohn or, or a Tony Robbins quote. So, um, but yeah. Um, so Corey, I think inherently one of your, one of your superpowers is, is leadership. Uh, enduring through the time and, and speaking to other people in preparation for today's, for today's chat. Leadership is a, is a theme that comes up again and again. And I know you value leadership so strongly and, and obviously it's, it's who you are, it's what you do and you've, you've been so focused over the last two years to, to build Verse where it is and I know you want it to be around for a long period of time but one of the challenges that any business will face, any, any business owner will face, any entrepreneur is that as that business grows, it begins to lose a sense of purpose. It starts with this clarity, but it begins to dilute as other interests, you know, board holders, uh, shareholders. As more people come into the business, you become further removed from that business and what happens day to day and, and what people think about the business. How do you overcome that challenge? How do you view that challenge? It's, it's one of the great challenges. I mentioned before that we want to scale this business. We do not for the sake of scale, but if we want to have the impact that we want to have and we want to move advice forward and we want to change the way people think and engage with advice, we need scale. So we are going to face that challenge. I feel like we're preparing for that challenge and we have from the get-go. And I think you prepare for that disconnect by just being obsessive about culture and obsessive about people and obsessive about what your beliefs are. And not at any point do you ever trade on those things. So from a tactical point of view, this starts with building a framework for what your culture actually is. Who are we? What do we actually believe? How do we codify that into a set of values? And I see all the time businesses that, so many businesses have a set of values, mm. right? But it's just, a, it's just a HR exercise. No one knows what these values are. The words don't mean anything. And they're typically just some generic words like, Accountability, <laughs> teamwork, le teamwork <laughs> leadership, you know, communication. Yeah. And they're just, they're basically words that hang on a wall and people don't even know they're on the wall, right? So create that framework. And this is the process that we went through. The first thing that we did, we had this disconnect in mind. The first thing that we did is create our values. We started with seven verse values. We've now got eight after a couple of retreats and realignment of who we are and what those beliefs are. And those eight verse values, they become the house rules. 
for everyone. The guiding principles for how you think, how you interact with your teammates, with clients, with business partners, they guide your decision making for big strategic decisions and even for the little decisions. And they really do act as filters for what you do do and what you don't do and how do you do the things that you choose to do. And we have, I mentioned the word obsessive, we have been obsessive about making sure that we really do use that framework of values for everything. It's aligned through how do we hire, how do we remunerate, how do we celebrate, how do we build a client experience. They're interwoven through absolutely everything. Everything's the values and the values are everything, so to speak. And if you can get that sense of alignment and you can do a great task of identifying what people are culturally aligned to your business and what people aren't, and you just bring culturally aligned people in, you align with culturally aligned businesses, you can make sure that you don't go through that disconnect. And what you actually do is, with a great culture, is when you feed the right people into it, it just grows. Mm. And we were talking you know, off air earlier before we started about this and this concept of culture and how do you get, we call them teammates at first, not employees or staff, how do you get teammates to really take that culture on board and nurture it and you give them ownership you know, and you let them know that culture is everyone's business. If we want to have a great environment where people are inspired and excited and want to do their best work, it's everyone's responsibility to nurture and look after that, that culture and that environment. So it works great from a leadership point of view because you can depersonalize feedback. Mm-hmm. And I think if you get that, those conditions right, you just create the environment where when you bring good people in, you get great work from them and they do their best work and they achieve their own goals and mm-hmm. they're inspired. So going back to the sporting analogies, the sporting teams in any code or even the sporting people in any sport that excel over an extended period of time, it's not fleeting, they're not number one for three weeks, they are the teams that have the best culture, mm-hmm. always. If you want to be at the top for five, ten years in sport, it comes back to culture and it comes back to leadership and the army is the best example. You throw silly, irresponsible 17, 18 year old men into the army and they come out upstanding citizens. They, didn't, they weren't that way going in, but they're that way coming out. And mm. that is because of the culture and the values that are instilled in them through that journey. Mm. So it's, it starts and ends with culture. One of the questions for you is that, you know, knowing you and knowing your personality, you're, you're very focused and you're very disciplined about setting a plan, executing that plan. But essentially the whole nature of creating a business and scaling it is setting a plan, creating a plan, but then having people come in, add feedback and run with it and create their own plans. And as you get bigger and bigger and bigger, you have less and less control. How do you personally, and then maybe there isn't, there isn't maybe a long answer to this, but, mm. but how do you feel about you know, letting go of that and, mm. and letting people go off and make, make their own decisions within your business and try to create things that are, you know, you're trying to deliver on kind of thing? I feel fine about it and I feel fine because I feel like we've been, we've had the ability to bring great people in that are aligned. Now get the right people in, let them, let them do the thing, mm-hmm. let them do their art, give them the license to take risks and challenge things, challenge my thinking, challenge James's thinking. And I think when you have that collaborative environment where everyone's got an open mind and everyone listens and respects other people, and there's no risk that's too big. Even if your idea is not great, the fact that you're bringing that idea forward is 
going to be applauded and mm. acknowledged. And maybe there's an iteration of that idea that you had that is the right idea. I think it's just as simple as bringing in great people and then putting your faith in them. I mean, there's, there's, there's literally no other way to do it. And I think you want to make sure that you can identify and acknowledge what you're actually not great at, what are your weaknesses, and bring the people in that are aligned but can address those things. Mm. So you can create time to double down on your strengths. Yeah. A quote I saw not too long ago from probably one of my one of my favorite companies based in Australia here and I'm hoping hoping to get the managing director on in terms of my future podcast. And I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher this quote, but it was essentially along the lines of if you're more in love with solving the problem, you're gonna be more likely to change the solution. Whereas a lot of people are so fixated on the solution, in this case the business, that they don't want to necessarily take that feedback on because they're what they're trying to do is the solution. It might not be the right solution, but whereas you focus on the problem, right? The problem with the financial services industry. And I think that's that's more important. You you want to solve the problem, right? Yeah. And so you're more willing to take on feedback from yourself and the feedback even that I've gotten about you as a leader mm. is that you are very open to that. You, you do want to be challenged. Everybody says they want to be challenged, mm. but you truly do take it on and you have changed your mind about key things of the business. But I think because you're more in love, you're in love with solving the problem, not mm. the solution being the business kind of thing. So what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I think you make a great point. I think that it's easy to get wedded or fall in love with the solution or the strategy mm. and lose sight of the issue or the problem. And I mean, I think you can overcomplicate these things. You can over, overthink these things. Mm. Just bring in good people that are aligned, give them an environment and a set of conditions where they can do their best work mm. and go from there and see where that takes you mm. and make iterations as you need to. So I suppose that's a really good segue to kind of this next, this kind of this, this next part of our, of our chat today. And what's the future hold for you? Obviously, you're going to be a, a new dad any day now. Very exciting. But where do you see where do you see the next two, five, ten years with both yourself and Verse? It's a great question. Well, in terms of the next two, five, ten days, where uh, <laughs> Christian and I are, uh, are five days overdue yeah. uh, for our first child at the moment. So. I think we're going to get through the rest of this podcast. Uh, <laughs> Waiting but, uh, for the phone call, yeah. Exactly right. I've, I've got my phone just here. It's yeah. on silent, but uh, if a text comes through, we might need to cut it short. Yeah, but yeah. In the next five, ten years, it's really hard to know. This is probably something I don't try and overthink. What the world looks like in ten years is such a difficult question. Mm. In terms of our planning long term, we've got a vision in mind, and we're taking actionable steps every day that move us in that direction. But maybe coming back to what we were just talking about, we're not wedded to exactly how we get there. And the reality is we don't know exactly how we get there. Like, you know, we're, it's uncertain. We're mm. learning as we go. We're evolving as we go. Where are we going to be in 10 years? I have no idea. But I do know is if we continue to create the right culture and nurture that culture and bring great people in and we relentlessly pursue growth and improvement and don't lose that sense of purpose or conviction and clarity that we've got, it's gonna be somewhere pretty cool. Mm. How big it is, I don't know. Is it just in this country? I don't know. How many clients do we have? I don't know. What is exactly my role? I'm not sure, but I'm comfortable with that with that uncertainty. Mm, fantastic. I think for myself as well too, as I look at as I, as I look at entrepreneurs and people that are aspiring to their own business, I think I think that's the biggest misconception I think a lot of people have and, and from conversations well before the idea of this podcast is 
I think what you said is really powerful. And I think that to me is really a, a big part of what makes the difference between an entrepreneur and somebody who's still got that business plan sitting. Because the idea is you have to have a 5, 10, 15 year plan set out. Mm. You have to have exactly roadmapped. And, and it becomes that fear of, oh, I don't know if it's ready to go. And I don't know if this is going to be exactly right. But I think what you just said there is that it's not about, it's not about having all the answers, really. You've mm. got the cause, you've got the, the problem you're trying to solve, and you've built a vehicle in terms of a culture and a framework and leaderships and values that is the, the framework, if you will, and you're just figuring out, how, figuring out how it goes, you know? Do you have the big tires, the skinny tires, the purple mirrors, the black mirrors, all that sort of thing, right? So, I, I, I totally agree. Yeah. So... Obviously, really respectful of your time, and obviously, um, hopefully, you do get a phone call pretty quick. But I want to, um, I want to just transition onto the last section of our chat today, and, and in, in, in inspiration of Tim Ferriss, really setting up, uh, asking you serious, just rapid fire questions. Yes, Tim's got a few mentions today, hasn't he? Uh, he I think does. He does. are up to about number number eight or nine. Absolutely, Tim. Don't worry. I assume my checks in the mail. I'll be waiting on that. But uh, I want to just just kind of dive into just a couple key questions. Your answer can be short or long. Yep. There's there's no right or wrong answer. But well, I if, just it's, if it's rapid fire, I assume it should be short, right? No, take your time. There's, there's no 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 right or way. I think. Okay. Uh, you know. So. All right. Fire them at me. Here we go. So, what what book has most changed your life? And I'd love if you could place us where you read it and in what context did it change everything? Great question. Uh, there's so many books that. I could probably put in this in this response, but start with why by Simon Sinek. I think mm-hmm. these are things that I inherently know, and I think most people inherently know. But I think I just read it at the right time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I think that's so important when it comes to books. And where did you? Where were you yeah. when you read it? What I, stage? I, of I was story? I was just about to start the planning phase of the business. Mm-hmm. I was working at the bank. I had this sense of purpose around what advice would look like, and my thinking was evolving really, really rapidly around what that looks like and what mm. the business might look like. And that book came at the perfect time. It, it really did. And we make a habit of giving that book to other people all the time. One of our values to start with why here at Verse. We've, we order that book by the bucket <laughs> load. And Simon Sinek, if you're listening, just to retweet, mate, when we, when we take a photo of a, a, a carton of books that come to our office and we, we tweet you in it and we tag you in it, just one retweet, please. That's all we're asking. It's not too much, I don't think. Yeah. So I, I, I'd say that book, just more than anything, I read it at the right time. Mm. So who's been the greatest influence in your life growing up? Um, it, again, it could be somebody you didn't know or maybe some prominent figure or it could be somebody you didn't know. But who was that greatest influence in your life growing up and why? I think it's been Nathan, my, my twin brother. <laughs> He's um, a great guy, Nathan. Yeah. <laughs> he is. He's a brilliant man. Um, he might be a little bit surprised to hear me say that, but it's true. And it's true because we lived in each other's pockets for you know, our first 15 years, basically. And the fact that we both uh, lived through those 15 years is quite remarkable in and of itself. You know, Nathan's attempted to, to murder me more than, <laughs> more than a, on a dozen it's occasions. Some good stories yeah, for us. Yeah. yeah, there's been numerous fights. And... We're both hyper-competitive. It's a competitive family. And I mentioned before, sport was such a focus for us growing up. Nathan was almost, he was better at me when it came to sport in most things instinctively. More natural talent, more hand-eye coordination. Things just came easier Mm. for him. And I was so competitive that I always wanted to beat my brother at things. (laughs) I think it, without even knowing it at the time, it was sharpening my focus on 
hard work mm. and making effort non-negotiable and trying to get the best out of yourself and being resilient. And these are some of the things that I think have had a really big impact on my life. And I think that's where a lot of them were cultivated in those early years mm. on the local tennis court, kicking footy in the backyard, playing our first year of, of you know, under eights, under nines footy and Nathan kicking 40 goals for the year and me kicking three, yeah. you know, and uh, having to swallow that, yeah. you know, and... Uh, I mean, he's now become you know my, my best friend, but uh, he was my enemy for so many years, <laughs> and he'll know that's fair in saying it. But um, you know, I, I think that uh, so many of the values that I've learned to cherish come from my relationship with him. Mm. I think from our conversation today, I think one of the first questions we asked mm. is where did where did a lot of those sort of skill sets come from right in the beginning? But I think we've discovered our answer that it was it's not something that was necessarily being instilled at you you knew that oh this is about discipline mm. but it was about beating your brother mm. or being better than him about mm. having to swallow the fact that he's been better learn to come back next year and to beat him at the tennis court of the game kind of thing so i think that's that's interesting that you've, you've you've adopted those lessons and i think so often we've adopted so many lessons we mm. just don't even we can't because it wasn't delivered to us in uh, oh this is leadership this yeah. is discipline this yeah. is hard work this yeah. is perseverance it's just we have a different goal, right? And I think that's uh, that's a uh, an interesting theme of our conversation today. So the next question is: what what mantra or inspiring quote has changed your life? And I'd love to hear, you know, why it changed your life, and maybe even where you first heard it. And just to just to buy you just to buy you a bit of a, a bit of a moment, actually, kind of what I would answer to this is: I actually don't necessarily have any one thing that any one time has changed my life. I find that my life, I I get a I get a quote or I get something. And it, it kind of just slots in. It's something I need. It's a, it's a missing vitamin for my diet, if you will. Discipline equals freedom is, is one I'm sitting with a lot at the moment and really trying to be cognizant about how I'm living my life day to day. Uh, and back to what I mentioned earlier, the little things are the big things. And really trying to be very cognizant about living in the moment and, and recognizing that all those little things I do add up into those big things. That'll that'll work for a while, and then it'll 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 probably fall off, and something else will fall into my life, and that's yeah. why I love being surrounded by podcasts and people like yourself, and like we talked about earlier, those five friends, because you're constantly getting inundated with this stuff, but you don't realize you need it until you you have that void, and then it slots in. So, great segue. Um, some of those quotes are pretty powerful. Mm -hmm. The little things are the big things. That is so true. I think what you're saying there is right that. There's not, for me, I'm the same, there's not one mantra that I've lived by. I think on your journey, on your evolution, a quote or a mantra or a person might come in and it becomes really valuable for a period of time. Mm -hmm. And you might apply it in different ways. It might be at the forefront of your mind, but maybe as you evolve, it's less relevant to you. Or I think quotes sometimes can have a shelf life mm. in terms of how intrinsically do they motivate or inspire you? I'm trying to think of the word at the moment, you become desensitized to things. Mm. Yeah, like I remember when mm -hmm. the September 11 happened and you're watching that footage of planes going into the building and people jumping out of the building and I'm not entirely desensitized to that now, but certainly what you feel when you see that now after you've seen it 400 times is different to how you felt the first time. Mm -hmm. So I think it works the same here. I think there's been different concepts that have come for me uh, over the journey, but the one I'm thinking about as you're talking is no regrets. Mm. Super simple statement, but I remember when I first started going to the gym at about 18 and pretty scrawny, trying to put on a <laughs> bit of size, trying to build a bit of muscle, and I used to write with a pen on my hand, no regrets on my palm mm. in the car before I stepped into the gym, and I would just 
I would look at that throughout the workout. Like, you know, I'd be just about to start a set and I'd be trying to get myself mentally into the right zone to give my best effort. And that was kind of a mantra that I had for quite some time where make effort non-negotiable, mm. do your best, you know, don't quit on things, do that thing that you want to do, say that thing that you want to say and don't hold back. There's one mantra that I could probably live by, no regrets. No regrets. I, I haven't thought about it for a while, but if you could live a life with no regrets at all, it would be a great life, wouldn't it? Mm, absolutely. Mm. You've kind of already answered this one, but I'd love for you to tell us about your, uh, your, your morning routine. Morning routine, okay. Well, the first thing I do is wake. <laughs> Any particular time you wake up? Or? Uh, it, it depends. I try and get up between 5.30 and quarter past six, depending on what time I went to bed the night before. Mm-hmm. I try and always get eight hours sleep. I never really want to trade it on sleep. It's just a fundamental for me in terms of doing my best mm-hmm. every day. So I try and get up early, including weekends. And the first thing that I do is get up, I have about a liter of water. I'm actually mixing <laughs> apple cider vinegar with that water at the moment, yep. just to hydrate me. Then I'll take uh, some different supplements. Mm-hmm. Specifically, what are you taking at the I, moment? Um, probiotics, yep. I take them every day for a long time. Uh, vitamin D, uh, a bit of mag, magnesium, mm-hmm. um, sometimes a bit of zinc. Take a couple of uh, tablets of evening primrose, mm-hmm. um, just for my skin, I get a bit of dry skin. They're the, they're the key things that I take, and a, and a Meta B as well. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll, I'll hydrate, I'll have my water, and then I'll make a juice, or I'll make a smoothie. I might have maybe some grains afterwards if I feel like I'm, I haven't quite got enough in me. And then uh, I will prepare food for the day. Hmm. So it's a bit of a ritual to prepare about three to four meals, depending on what my day looks like. Try and make sure that's predominantly greens, predominantly vegetables, mm-hmm. some good quality proteins. I will make sure I do put a picture, as I mentioned, of a picture of your fridge because it is something else. But back to everything we've talked about today. Yeah, back to the three Ps. So it's the, the routine is just about getting some nutrition into me, into me as early as possible, getting hydrated, being prepared for the rest of the day, really. Mm. One of my favorite questions is, or one of my favorite quotes, rather, is from actually Tony Robbins, and I think about it. And Tony Robbins says that the quality of your life can be measured by the quality of your questions. You may or may not believe this, but I'd love to just ask, do you have one question you ask yourself or that you seem to ask other people um, quite often? I do. uh, And the question just is why? Mm. Why do you feel that way? Why would you say that? Why do you think that? I think that in terms of having great conversations with people, so much of that is on listening and asking good questions. And I agree with Tony's quote. And this is something that I certainly haven't mastered you know, I've had to work so hard on asking better questions and listening better. It's, it, it sounds so simple, yet mm. it seems so challenging. It's just that concept of why would you say that? And it, and, it, and it allows you to kind of get to the heart of where people are coming from. Mm. It's really easy to be, I think, dismissive of people that have differing views or differing thoughts or opinions. But I think if you ask some good questions and you allow people to open up and share where that comes from, mm. and you can be open-minded about trying to put yourself in their shoes... I think that's a really good platform to find some mutual understanding and build relationships too. Fantastic. Mm. Corey, very cognizant of your time. I'll, I really appreciate you taking the time today to sit down and speak with me. Probably by the time listeners hear this, will be a, uh, a new father as well. So congratulations for myself and uh, all my listeners. But uh, I'm, sure we'll have, I'm sure we'll have another chat again soon. There's so much more I want to get into. But for now, I really appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me on, Dustin. I, uh, I'm humbled to be part of your journey. I am, and, and you know it, I've said it so many times, I, um, I have enormous admiration for, for you and how you go about, not just your podcast, but your life, 
and you're one of the great listeners that I've met. So it, it seems uh, it seems just that you would uh, <laughs> uh, you'd have your own podcast series, mate. So congratulations, and again, thank you. Thanks, mate. Hi, everyone, and thank you again for joining me for today's chat. Please make sure you jump on Facebook to quickly like and share this podcast episode. If you're not already following me, please take another quick minute to hit that like button so you can stay up to date with all new podcast episodes, exciting announcements, and other things going on. You can find me on Facebook at Project Y2, that's at Project Y and the number two. And you can also follow me on LinkedIn if you're there. Don't forget to share and rate this on wherever you find your podcast episodes, and I look forward to having you join me again for our next Y2 podcast.